Welcome back to another episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I'm the host, Mark Holthy, but I am not alone. I'm here with the rest of the Holthy Immigration Law team. We're excited to give you a little bit of an update on what's happening with Canadian immigration these days. And then, of course, transition to our impossible Canadian trivia. So join us in a bit. The Canadian immigration process can be complex and frustrating. With the Canadian Immigration Department making it virtually impossible to speak to an officer, there are few places to turn to for trusted information. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest on immigration law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy, as he is joined by industry leaders across Canada, sharing insight to help you along your way. All right, everyone, welcome back once again. It's a beautiful spring day, at least it is here in Lethbridge, where I'm recording from. I'm here with uh, Igor and Alicia up in Calgary and Prem, who's here in Lethbridge with me. And Cedric, where are you these days? Yeah, I'm, I'm based in Ottawa, but I, uh, I do travel quite a bit, uh, as you know, Mark, uh, I'm actually going to the uh, Azerbaijan Grand Prix for Formula One this weekend. So nice. that'll keep me on my toes, but I'm on the GMT plus three time zone. Nice. Excellent. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, we're going to let, let's chat a little bit about what's happening. Um, I think you'd have to be, I don't know, maybe living in a time capsule or, or dead to not know that there's a strike going on in Canada. And uh, what are the impacts of this strike? We're just slowly seeing things unfold, but what is this actually going to do? Is this going to throw us back to the COVID days? What do you think? I guess that's the question right now. And we do know that a number of the inside Canada offices are affected. So anybody who has a refugee protection division hearing, those are getting affected. Some of the immigration appeal division hearings are getting affected. Um, federal court might be getting affected as well. I don't know, Cedric, have you heard on that front? So far, so good. Stuff's still getting accepted. Uh, I think they do have a skeleton staff, but there is a warning on the federal court website uh, regarding these delays, but very important, right? Alicia, can't still have to file within 15 days for refusal inside Canada and 60 days for outside Canada, but overall, very minimum impact of the federal court. Yeah, so there's, there's a little bit of a highlight or a, a silver lining. Um, there are no biometrics appointments that are being held in Canada, so no scheduled appointments right now for biometrics, which is going to hold people's applications up. However, if you're outside of Canada, they are still doing biometrics appointments, but it seems like there's a little bit of a delay on those notification letters. Other things, apparently the job bank registrations are still being accepted, but if you're trying to file an LMIA and you're an employer, the difficulty right now is that when you go to submit that application, normally the system asks you for payment within 48 hours, but we're seeing significant delays. There's been no payment requests since the strike has started last week. So remains to be seen on what will happen with ESDC and labor market impact assessments. I just thought I would pull up the uh, processing times just for kicks here. Now, I don't suspect that these are going to get updated. So the last one, April the 18th, for example, for skilled workers federal under the express entry system is 27 months, which, you know, that's pre-strike. Like the strike started, when did it start? Did it start before I think it was the 19th. The 19th day after, yeah. So we'll see if they even bother to update these anymore. But, uh, you know, these these processing times, and let's just shift here, and I'm going to take a look at the at the temporary. This is actually always always quite entertaining. Okay, pick a country, you guys. Let's go visitor visas from outside Canada. Pick a, pick a country, pick a country. I think India is. Oh, yeah, that's the, that's the most enjoyable. Okay, let's see what it is for India right now. So we get processing times. Oh, no way. It says 18 days. It says 18 I did check days. yesterday. Yeah, last updated yeah, April Yeah, I did 18th. check yesterday. Well, they must just be mass refusing everybody then. Either that, or they're, I don't know. either that or they're they're doing away with the bona fides assessment and have just decided to, you know, just approve everything. That's crazy. Eighteen days. Okay, let's let's go with let's go with uh, let's go with um, an African country. Pick an African country. 
Try Nigeria. Uh, Nigeria. Okay. Oh, okay. there we go. <laughs> okay, we'll go. We'll go with Nigeria here. So Nigeria right now is. There we go. Okay, that's more like it. Guess guess what Nigeria is. Guess. Two hundred days. More. <laughs> Three hundred days. More. Oh my More. goodness. More. Oh, oh, sorry, you didn't guess. Keep, come on, just keep going. This is awesome. 500. Keep going. 650. Yeah, 634 days to process a visitor visa in Nigeria. That makes sense, right? It should take that long to come to travel. Two years. Yeah. So, and that was last updated, yeah, like everything else on the 18th. So, I think... And uh, I think that's about the same with Pakistan as well. Mm-hmm. So that's just a little bit of an example. Uh, I, I think it's crazy. I, it's hard for me to believe that India is really 18 days, but whatever. It is what it is. And uh, so the question is, are, is this going to throw us right back? Like they have made so much, you know, they, they've been able to, to, to claw their way back in processing times, back to, you know, somewhat reasonable processing, especially for the, the permanent resident applications. But for, for, for many of the ones where they have, you know, uh, service standards, but when it comes to this strike, like who knows how long it's going to, you know, extend out and we're not going to get political about it. It is what it is, you know, uh, who's right or who's wrong is irrelevant. The reality is it's going to impact people significantly. And the question is, will it throw us back to, to COVID days? What do you guys think? I guess the fear is that they don't do express entry draws tomorrow, right? because that could significantly affect processing for the PR side of things. The only good news is that it does seem like the borders are still open and work permits are still being issued. I had a guy come in on a LMIA approved work permit basis from a non-visa required country yesterday, and those are still being issued. I think there were long wait times, but at least the work permit was issued. So. I think for sure this is going to have a negative impact and it just throws a whole bunch more uncertainty into the process for everybody. Another added level of frustration and just really not knowing what the next direction is going to be. Yeah. And I think the one main message we tell everyone is you don't stop filing. Like I've had some people say, well, should I hold off? Well, no, <laughs> submit your application. We don't know what's going to happen. And and uh, it's kind of like those who were applying through the TR to PR pathway before, you know, some people who, who thought, well, I'm an essential worker or I'm a francophone. I'm going to go through those pr French programs. So there's no urgency. Well, those that, you know, were able to get their applications filed in that first day, in some cases saw their applications approved in like a week from the date when they started processing. And then others, we know the levels plan still accommodate for, I don't know what, 20, 30,000 more applications to be finalized this year in 2023. And, and some of those individuals filed in July versus May. So, and I think Cedric, you just received, uh, you know, uh, you're going to be working with a client here just to, to respond to an 80, you know, additional document request from IRCC on a TR to PR. And I had a consult with uh, a client yesterday who was waiting and waiting and it had been, and I think I'm going to uh, send them over to you, Cedric, just to consider, you know, whether a mandamus application is worthwhile or not. But, you know, everything's been done. It's been almost two years since the last word and uh, they've heard nothing, no forward movement. And, you know, there's no processing time standards for these applications, but there's still, you know, there might be possibilities, but yeah, it, it'll, uh, you know, I think if this prolong, if this strike prolongs, it's going to take us right back where we were before. And so people better start governing themselves accordingly. Hopefully this time though, the government will be transparent about the real processing time. So, Hey, if 635 days is how long, 34 days is how long it's taking right now to process a visitor visa through Nigeria. Well, Hey, they're definitely, um, under promising if, if they approve it in 500 days, wow, they're over delivering. So We'll leave it at that. Well, we we know it's the case for the Canadian Experience class for the longest time was showing, what, 18, 20 months? And they just updated it back down to five months. And it's the same thing with the spousals for Inside Canada, right? Right now, as of April 25th, it's showing 14 months. But we know that a lot of individuals have received their PR closer to four to five months for spousal applications, right? So it's, it's interesting. <laughs> and, 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 and just to touch base, to give people a little bit of hope, right? If you are submitting, let's say, a study permit and there is... You know, TRV attached to it, 
mean, they're going to process both at the same time. You're not going to get your study permit, obviously, then have to wait, you know, 600 days for your visa to enter Canada. The same thing for minors with children or, you know, if you have a work permit and you're applying for a TRV for your kids, right? They're going to process everything at the same time. So that, that, that gives some people some hope, Mark. <laughs> there you go, Cedric. Thanks for being positive. It's so hard to be, uh, you know, to be positive with, with everything that's been transpiring over the last few years. You know, there's many days where I look back and think, oh, if I'd only stayed a teacher, I could have been you know, <sighs> playing basketball with the kids in the gym. Oh, it would have been so bliss. I, I wouldn't have had to pay any attention to any of this. I, I don't know, Mark. I had some consults with teachers during the pandemic who were at their wits end, specifically a kindergarten teacher who was trying to teach 35-year-olds on Zoom. Well, that makes perfect sense. It's nap time, kids. We're going to have a three-hour nap. So get your blankie and, and have a sleep. And then here's the book your your parents can read to you because they're all home too. So bliss. Oh, gosh. Yeah, no, I, clearly there's there's no, no winners here. But uh, when I look at the practice of immigration law when I first started um, way back, um, it's changed a lot. It's not quite the same. And I'm not sure if I'd be doing the same thing I'm doing right now if you know if you knew kind of where things were going but with that being said when i was deciding whether or not to go to law school or, or to stay a teacher every single teacher that i spoke to said go to law school and every single lawyer that i talked to said stay a teacher so even back then in early 2000s there was general dissatisfaction with life so find your niche and i do enjoy what i'm doing i, I enjoy this i enjoy working with clients it's just the it's just the Ah, it's just the process that has become more painful. And, uh, but it is, there's nothing better than being able to tell a client that, you know, they've gotten approval and they can move forward with their hopes and dreams. But on that note, we would be remiss if we didn't share some uh, interesting little anecdotes. So I'll share a little experience that I had with a client yesterday. And this, we see this all the time. So express entry applicants got their application rejected. This isn't an incomplete, we're returning. This is a rejected. You have not satisfied us that you've, you know, that, you know, that you've performed the duties of the knock that you've selected. And in this case, the clients had come, uh, intercompany transfer, um, and then the spouse was the principal applicant. And her human capital was really low. Language abilities, very low, and probably a little over 100 points, maybe 160, 170 points. But she was able to go through because of her work experience and get a nomination from one of the Atlantic provinces, which then, of course, gave her the 700 plus points and she was drawn under one of the PNPs. Well, the application was rejected. And this is something that, that people just don't understand. When your application is rejected for express entry, yes, you can go right back into the pool if, if you el continue to be eligible. In most cases, people will be. But there is no guarantee you're going to get another invitation to apply. So if your application is returned because you're missing, you know, you've submitted a black and white copy of a German police certificate instead of a color one, or you fail to provide sufficient evidence to support your work history, it goes back into the pool. And in this case, the province changed the rules. So the program that the family was eligible under no longer exists, or it has become so competitive now that human capital plays a greater role. And in this case, the language requirements were increased and the occupations in demand list was, was modified. So their families here, they just recently got their bridging open work permits rejected because, you know, the original uh, uh, PNP application um, and they'd gone through express entry. So the express entry version had been rejected as well. And what could I say? You know, I, <laughs> and I'm not going to get into the representation that they received, on the front end, um, but the biggest issue was the, the principal applicant had self-employed work experience uh, in India and they had not done anything to provide evidence of, of the actual duties performed, which in fairness is not easy because if you go to the completeness check website, you know, it gives some examples. It says if the applicant is self-employed, articles of incorporation or other evidence of business ownership, okay, check, you have to show that it's an actual business, evidence of self-employed income, and documentation from third-party individuals indicating the service provided. So those third-party individuals are really important because they're the ones that actually can attest to the duties that you were performing, at least to some extent. 
and we've got our strategies that we you know work with our clients and that we teach within our DIY courses but you know how to address self-employed work experience but the thing that they got hung up on and that they didn't understand is there's a a, a uh a disclaimer that basically says self-declared main duties or affidavits are not acceptable proof of self-employed work experience. So when they read that, I, I don't know, either that or the consultant that they'd hired had just not really done their due diligence to, to make sure that evidence was being provided. Um, and then they, you know, hired a, a lawyer who's not an immigration lawyer to file a leave application. And and once again, I think they misinterpreted this statement as being, well, we don't have to provide it because it says that they're not accepted. Uh, self-declared main duties. So it's, it's, you know, and now the family, probably mom and dad, they have an older daughter who's in school at university and she'll be able to stay and they're, they're trying to do damage control. They realize, well, we're probably gonna have to go back to India. We, they've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to establish the business in Canada. And, uh, <clears throat> and now, you know, it, it's all just slipping away. So people sometimes just don't understand and the government's notorious for making it look like it's so easy and, you know, there's, there's no issues. So, so there you go. A sad, sad tale. And it's, it's worse when people book consults and you, 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 there's nothing you can say other than, well, you know, try to resubmit your profile and hopefully things change. Have the principal applicant work on their language to try to improve it and keep your fingers crossed that maybe an opportunity might come up. So it's a good point, though, Mark, about the perils of not being clear in terms of documenting your foreign work experience, especially when it's self-employed work experience. So that is a, a good cautionary tale and make sure that hopefully people are listening and hopefully people realize that if you are self-employed, you have extra an extra onus in terms of proving your self-employment, that it was legitimate, that it was actually high skilled work as well. Now, Alicia, you also had a recent <laughs> client in significant distress uh, from Iran. Do you want to share that story? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I had a consult with a lovely person who came to me and was really upset because they had applied last year, so in September, to extend or change their status because they had been in Canada, they'd done some education in Canada, had been on a post-grad work permit, there was the pandemic that interfered, they had gotten sick, there was a number of things going on, but they didn't manage to get that full one year of Canadian high-skilled work experience. And unfortunately, the time on their post-grad work permit was expiring, and so they made the difficult decision to change their status or apply to change their status from that open work permit to a visitor status. So just go to a visitor visa. And they'd put that application back in last September of 2022. And then, of course, things have not gone well in Iran since then. And the country conditions have significantly changed. And so they didn't realize that there's actually a new policy. So when they actually got a decision back from that TRV application they'd submitted back last year, they received it in April. It was only valid until mid-May. So they only had a few weeks where it was actually valid still by the time they received it. And initially they'd wanted to contest the decision. And I said, well, wait a minute, don't there's no point in trying to argue the duration of the visitor visa that you got, just apply again, because there's a new public policy put out by immigration. It was released February 23rd of this year saying, we understand, the Canadian government understands that situations in Iran have deteriorated. And if you happen to be inside of Canada and you're an Iranian, um, you can apply to extend or change conditions on your current document. So they're able to do that free of charge. You don't have to pay the processing fee. And I had to go through and discuss that it's still important to show temporary intent. So that's the big thing is just making sure that they are still showing how they're supporting themselves in Canada. But under this policy, it's eligible. People are eligible to apply for it up until February of 2024. So if you do happen to be an Iranian citizen, you're stuck in Canada, you're worried about going home, there is a way to apply to extend your status from inside Canada. So keep in mind that that policy is there and at least it'll give you a little bit more time. You know, I, it might be worthwhile just to give a little bit of background on that, uh, on the policy. And so if you read the IRCC's background itself, it says following the tragic killing of Masa Amini by the Iranian regime's so-called morality police, 
the government of Canada has introduced a number of measures designed to hold the Iranian regime accountable for its regression of peaceful protest, repression of peaceful protests. The actions by the Iranian regime represent a blatant disregard for human rights and human life. The government of Canada reiterates its unequivocal and ongoing support for the brave women, students, and people of Iran. And then, as Alicia indicated, some just <laughs> don't feel safe returning for a variety of reasons. And, uh, you know, this... Yeah, it's one one thing I do want to point out to people. <laughs> Social media is great in all its forms, but think very, very carefully before you post anything online, regardless of the situation. And it's so easy to, to feel sheltered and protected and anonymous and, and free to say whatever comes across your mind. But it's there. It's there forever. And uh, it, it just reminds me of a consult I had with a, a client a couple of days ago as well. And he actually is back in India now. And he had gotten involved with someone. I don't know if it was Pakistan or, or if it was India, but in political discussions back and forth. And the other person was a super crazy uh, troll hacker person, I don't know, that basically smeared him across all avenues of social media that he could to the point where he felt like he couldn't get a job anymore because every time people would search his name, it would come up with all this stuff. Well, the reality is he had said things that were probably taken out of context, but, but I see this happen a lot with people, you know, and, uh, and so, you know, there's, it's, it's absolutely, people should be free to, you know, to, to say what they feel, but remember that that is a record that's out there and, and, uh, anything you say will be there forever. So just, yeah, think, think twice. On that note, too, I, I did mention that it is important if you have put things out on social media, if you're actually fearing for your life mm -hmm. because of comments that were made specifically regarding another government, and there's a genuine fear, and it's a possibility that there would be a repercussion, then please make sure to consult with a refugee lawyer. Make sure that you're talking to somebody because it's possible that you have what's called a surplus claim, um, a claim that arises when you are in a foreign country. But the longer you delay, the less genuine your fear could be. So it's really important that you discuss that with a refugee lawyer if you are thinking about making a claim for protection inside Canada. Yeah. Good point. Thank you. All right. Well, we'll see how this strike plays out. We'll see what the impact is on immigration processing. But we will take a quick little break uh, for our sponsor, and then we'll be back for the moment you've all been waiting for, the impossible Canadian trivia. Journey Business Plans is the leading immigration business plan writing service provider in Canada. With more than 10 years of experience, Journey has grown to become a trusted partner for immigration consultants and lawyers. Journey focuses on preparing business plans for a number of immigration applications, including intercompany transfers, startup visas, significant benefits, self-employed, PNPs, and so much more. Their main competitive advantages are reliability, responsiveness, and overall customer service, and I can attest to that. For those of you who don't yet know about Journey, ask your colleagues about them. They're amazing! Or even better, try out their work. You can visit their website at www.jorney.ca and mention you listen to my podcast with the code HOLTHYJOURNEY10. That's H-O-L-T-H-E-J-O-O-R-N-E-Y number 10. And that'll provide you with a 10% discount on your very first business plan for new lawyers. We're so grateful to have Journey Business Plans as the title sponsor of this podcast. Right, and it looks like it's the time for another episode of the Canadian Migration Trivia. And just to remind our listeners, Alicia is champion, <laughs> the um, und undefeated, undisputed uh, undefeated. heavyweight title holder. Yeah, yeah. So this time we will try to get another champion, not Alicia. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. It's going to be unbiased episode of the Canadian Migration Trivia, as it always have been. <laughs> and guys, if you're ready, 
we can start off with a very, very basic question first. So what is the name Canada thought to mean originally? This is the question number one. So when you hear Canada, what does it mean? Why Canada? I'm sure I learned this in elementary school, probably. Here, let me Google it. No, yeah. <laughs> oh boy, I don't know. Yeah, so there's a translation to this word, and people think that this is the origin of the word Canada. Think of etymology of the word Canada, where it may come from. Three, two, one, reveal. Okay. So Cedric says, canoe, Canada. Okay. Mark says, indigenous word for snowy island. Okay. Alicia, what is your answer? Maybe you can read it out loud. Okay. Canada, variation, First Nations word, meeting off the water. Right? Okay. And then Prem, your guess? I don't have an answer. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, that explains why we have the name Canadian Impossible Trivia, because nobody got it right. So, <laughs> okay, what's the, the answer, one? Igor? Like, you're killing me. What, what's the answer? Okay, okay. So here's a little story and history uh, lesson for you guys. So the name Canada likely comes from Huron-Iroquois word Canada, meaning village. So the... Actual question was, what does the word Canada means, right? Like, what is the translation? So the translation is village or settlement. And so in 1535, two Aboriginal youth uh, told French explorer Jacques Cartier about the road to Canada. They were actually referring to the village of Stadacona, the site of the present day city of Quebec. And for the lack of another name, Cartier used the word Canada to describe the not only the village, but the entire area controlled by its chief, Donacona. So here's where the names, name of our country comes from. Just a little village. Nice. All right. But good try. Good try, everyone. Yeah. Okay. But you do realize that if, if no one scores at least six, then you're the loser on this podcast, right? <laughs> Actually, it's vice versa. Trying to get the questions that nobody can find an answer to is not that simple, to be honest. No, you do a good job. All right. So the next question um, is actually a really fun. One of my favorite questions of this whole episode. So did you know that since 1984 and up until 2022, Canada had a territorial dispute over one of the islands? The dispute also became known as a whiskey war. Funny enough, countries involved in this territorial dispute even used Google ads to promote their claims. So what country did Canada have dispute with? And maybe you can even name the island, I don't know. Okay, read it again. Okay, so since 1984 and up until 2022, Canada had a territorial dispute with one of the other countries, right? And this dispute was about the island in between those two countries. So with what country did Canada have a dispute with? I I remember reading about this. If I don't get this point. Yeah. And, and you call it what? You, you called it whis and Whiskey so War? This is uh, informally known as Whiskey War or Liquor War. 
whiskey war, territorial dispute. We just ended the war like last year. It should be massive. I remember reading about this too, and I can't remember which country it was. And they all got together. I think they all had like a shot. Yeah. Do you remember White Falls whiskey war? Well, I think it was because there was a bet. There was a bet over some whiskey, and so the prize was whiskey. But I don't know. I can't remember which country. All right, I've guessed one. Okay, so Mark says Denmark, Prem says Russia, Denmark says Cedric, and then Alicia, what is your answer? Greenland. Greenland. Okay, so Mark, Alicia, and Cedric get a point. And why give point to Alicia, even though she answered Greenland, is because Greenland technically belongs to Denmark, right? So here's the story about this territorial dispute. The whiskey war is also known as liquor war was a pseudo confrontation and a border dispute between Denmark and Canada over Hans Island. So Hans Island is in the middle of Kennedy channel between Greenland and Ellesmere Island. A theoretical line in the middle of the strait goes through the island. So Canada and Denmark could not come to terms on Hans Island in 1973 when a border treaty was signed so that left a gap in the border description and then in 1984 canadian soldiers and i like how how wikipedia uh, names it provoked denmark by planting canadian flag on the island and leaving a bottle of canadian whiskey so guess what happened next the danish minister of greenland affairs comes to the island himself the same year with the danish flag and a bottle of schnapps and left a letter stating welcome to the Danish island. And so the story of coming back to an island, retrieving someone's flag, you know, and putting your own flag and leaving a next bottle of whiskey, you know, and then changing that to schnapps, that all continued until 2022. So like for over 40 years, they were drinking on this island. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And I like how they decided to finally settle this conflict. So they pretty much drew the straight line across the island. And um, the reason why they finally decided to do it is um, just to demonstrate how land disputes can be resolved peacefully. Peacefully. It just takes lots of, of liquor, right? Lots of alcohol. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great question, Igor. So, so yeah, good job, everyone. And then we'll move on to the third question. So there is a place in Canada that has a surface so similar to that of Mars that NASA conducts experiments there. If you Google this place, you'd find tons of photos with Mars rovers, astronauts, and other space equipment. Terrains in this place are so stunning that they indeed do look, look like Mars. It is also the largest uninhabited island in the world. Do you know in what province or territory this island is located? Is Calgary an island? Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> if you ask anyone from out east, it's an island. Yeah. <sighs> I was thinking Drumheller, but I was too obvious of an answer, and it's also not an island. Yeah. So yeah. you're looking so, for the problem. Yeah, yeah it's either province or territory. I won't give you a hint here. You just did. It could be anything. It could be anything. <laughs> Unless, yeah, anything except it has to be a province or territory. Okay, I can I can phrase it differently. It could be a territory or a province, <laughs> or a province or a territory. So yeah, this place looks like Mars. It's very similar to Mars. All you have to do is just add some warmth in Photoshop, you know, and then with the warmth, you know, with yellow tones, it will definitely look like Mars. All right, I'm ready. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, three, two, one. Okay. So Mark says Northwest Territories. Cedric says Northwest Territories. Um, 
Nova Scotia says Prem. And then Alicia, what is your answer? Um, it's also Northwest Territories. Territories. Oh my God, guys. Is it New Brunswick? No, it's Nunavut. Uh, well, I went bigger. Like I, I, I don't know which is bigger. Northwest Territories. <laughs> I, I just tried to find the one that had the largest land mass, and uh, yeah. so Nunavut. Okay, well there you go. I knew so, it had to be one of the two. Yeah. Well, before sending their rovers to Mars, NASA comes to Nunavut, and more specifically to Devon Island, located in the most northern part of Canada, close to Baffin Bay, and this place is in between Canada and Greenland. And the environment on Devon Island most closely resembles the Red Planet. So Devon Island is almost entirely devoid of plant life. In addition to this, it's freezing cold there, dusty, and basically it's an uninhabitable piece of land. But guys, if you go to Google and just Google Devon Island, um, NASA, you'll be stunned. Like it certainly looks like Mars. A lot of conspiracy theories online. <laughs> talking about how they never went to Mars. They're just... Well, just at Devon Island. Island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's possible. It's very cool. Great question, Igor. Honestly, they've been, they've been really, really great. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm, I'm really happy that we can keep the name Impossible Trivia. Nobody can get it well, right. Well, you're succeeding, but... Igor. Congratulations. Yeah. Okay. And so let's move on to the next question. And so the question sounds like this. So this Canadian person became known for his attempt to run across Canada to raise funds for cancer research. Despite the fact that one of his legs was amputated and he ran for 5,373 kilometers in 143 days. So what was the name of this man? It's a tough one, Igor. Yeah, very tough one. I know. I know. This is one I, where I, I would to. question whether or not you're Canadian if you don't get it right. <laughs> but if you're an import, you know, if you've come and immigrated and naturalized, you know, I'll give you a little bit of slack. That's that question should be on the citizenship test. Okay, you ready? Prime, are you googling it? Ready? <laughs> I just, I just see how Prime. He's looking at the screen. <laughs> Okay, so Terry Fox, Terry Fox, Terry Fox, everyone got it right. Okay, so if any of you have children, you will know Terry Fox. Yes. Because mm -hmm. every year Good. the kids have a Terry Fox run. Yeah. Right? And so they play the video, the original video back from like the 80s with Terry Fox. And every year when I go see that, I start weeping in the gymnasium with all the little children who are running around with their little pinnies attached to their shirts saying I'm running for cancer research because of my dad or my mom or my grandpa and it's extremely moving and one of the things we did this sum last summer was we actually stopped at the Terry Fox Memorial and we went there and there's a beautiful statue um, to commemorate the Terry Fox run so it's it's very lovely I, I recommend that people go that's awesome yeah I have very fond memories as a kid watching him live on TV definitely captured the hearts of all Canadians. So, and every one of my kids have ran multiple times in the Terry Fox run. As I was preparing this research for the question, so Terry was forced to stop running outside of Thunder Bay, Ontario, because cancer had appeared in his lungs. And then, so he couldn't finish the race. And before he was dying, he was saying that um, hope of uh, the marathon of hope must be finished, must be completed. So Steve Fonio completed Terry's Marathon of Hope, and at age 18, he embarked on a run across Canada entitled Journey for Lives to raise funds for cancer research. And in doing so, he followed in the footsteps of Terry Fox, and then Fonio began his run on March 31st, 1984, and completed it in 425 days later. Uh, on May 29, 1985, covering 7,924 kilometers and raising $14 million. Very cool. Wow, Igor. Yeah. You've got some congratulations. Congratulations, everyone. And we'll move on to the fifth question, which deals with immigration. So, immigration experts, how many days in the five year period you must spend in Canada to 
meet the residency obligation and maintain your PR status. So what is the absolute minimum you have to spend in Canada in five, day, in five years? To maintain the PR status? Yeah. Yes. Maintain PR. Okay. Okay. Three, two, one. You can show it. Okay. Seven. Oh, in days. Oops. Yeah. Seven thirty. Okay. And Cedric, what is your answer? Two years? I have two years <laughs> within the last five plus TR plus temporary resident time. But I realized you just wanted the date. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, not that. Yeah. Okay. So Mark, Alicia, and Pram, you get a point. I originally had 720. <laughs> I originally wrote down 720 and then I realized, oh, wait a minute. 365 times two is 730. <laughs> <laughs> But what yeah. if it's a leap year? Yeah. Oh no, Igor. Well, I heard about. Yeah, they the... only happen once every four years. <laughs> I've also so... heard about what is it to do with like citizenship? You have to prove you're inside Canada, right? Yeah. So like, they left the airport, you know, at like you know at eleven a.m., mm -hmm. but they were still in Canadian airspace the following day at two a.m., right? So that should count as a day, and they should grant the citizenship. Mm -hmm. Is, is that true, Mark and Alicia? Part, is that, is that days, how it works? Every part day that you spend in Canada is considered a full day. So if your so flight's departing... So if you can prove you're Canadian airspace. Well, I don't know if I've ever gone that far. That's I guess for someone it must have. But but yeah, that <laughs> that's pretty... I think it's usually on Canadian soil. soil like yeah. actually admitted inside of Canada. Yeah. What if you okay. spend your days on Devon Island? It's Ooh, Mars. You better be on the right <laughs> side then. I guess the, the the west side of the island, right? <laughs> no, no, that's the Whiskey Island. Devon Island's the yeah, Mars one. Oh, Devon, that's right. Excellent. Yeah, but good job, everyone. Well, so we need a scoreboard update, Igor. What do we have? So Mark has three points. Alicia has three points. Cedric has two points. And Prem has two points. Ooh, it's a tight run. <laughs> and let's see how you guys will answer the next question which borders somewhere between immigration and history. And here's the story. Okay, so in 1914, the Kagamata Maru ship came to Vancouver, okay? Aboard it had 376 six passengers from India who were denied entry to Canada largely due to two immigration policies, basically. So one policy allowed the officer to deny entry to everyone who came to Canada with less than $200, which was a huge sum of money back in the days, right? So the, the passengers were kept in the harbor. They could not leave the, the ship. They had to remain aboard for over two months before they finally had to sail back because they were still not allowed to enter Canada. The reason why they came is because in the end of 1913, those two policies were suspended by court order. But by the time they came back, the immigration service restored those two policies. So again, one policy required you to have $200 in cash. What was the other policy? So what was the requirement of another immigration policy that prevented entry of Kagamatamaru passengers into Canada? Just to remind. So, okay. So they came to <laughs> Vancouver, okay sick passengers from India. The name of the ship was Kagamata Maru. Okay, so yeah. That's so, so, two, so there were two reasons they could bar them. One was for failing to have $200 cash each. And then you're looking yeah. for the other reason that was set out in that policy. Yeah, and you can be as broad as you want. Well, I'm sure it's, it's racist, whatever it was, so. Yeah, so um, yeah, so the, the ship, interestingly, the ship is not Indian, right? Kagamato Maru. It's Japanese. Yeah. And there was a specific reason why they actually traveled with the Asian ship, because there was no direct route from India to Canada back at that time. 
so that's interesting. And I know it's not a typical trivia question where you have just one word answer. But if you could explain in maybe one or two or three words what was the requirements of the other policy? Like, why they would not let them in? <laughs> and actually, um, as you answering this question, it's interesting because the Canadian government officially apologized for the Kagamatsu Maru incident in 2016. So, like, over 100 years after the incident occurred, we had an official apology from the government. I think I have an answer. Okay. Uh, what about others? I, I, I'm not quite. I'm just. I'm still trying to figure out. Mark puts his officer hat on. So there's a book called uh, the, "The Making of the Mosaic," which is all about uh, immigration to Canada, which is really, really interesting. Super well written. And I'm at the part right now. Where it speaks about you know a lot of the Ukrainians coming to Canada to establish their farming techniques, but also the Mormons who came and had all these innovative farming techniques in southern Alberta. It's super fascinating. But I'm not at the part about the 1913s yet. <laughs> Getting there. All right, I've got an yeah. answer. That's right. Okay. Yeah, so you can show it, guys. Okay, so Japan ships um, barred. barred. So Jap okay, so that's, Japanese that's barred. Set. Okay, Pre um, Cedric says current quarantine act, so Chinese had to. <laughs> there's, there's also a Chinese head tax. There's also yeah. internment oh, camps for yeah. Japanese. Yeah. But I'm gonna go with the quarantine act because I think quarantine. yeah, I'm gonna go with the quarantine act. Okay, and then Alicia, can you move it just a little closer, or maybe you can read it out loud. I just said I'm assuming there would have, might have been some sort of requirement for a, having a Canadian sponsor vouch for you. Okay. Okay. And Pram, do you have an answer? No. Okay. So the reason why they were not let into Canada is because the other immigration policy required that they had a continuous journey from their home country. Mm. And the idea is the immigration policy was so anti-Indian that because there was no direct route from India to Canada, Technically, they could deny entry to anyone from India. And so in 1913, Indians were traveling to Hong Kong or Japan and traveling on Asian cruise ships to Canada. And by the end of 1913, they repealed those two immigration policies, saying that they contradicted the Immigration Act. And so steamship that came to Canada right before Kogamata Maru was Panama Maru. They had the same problem. They were not lent into the country, but uh, because the acts were suspended at the time, they finally got a, a, a shot. And so, unfortunately, by April of 2014, the legal situation mm -hmm. and the Canadian government had quickly rewritten its regulations to meet the objections it encountered in court with those two um, uh, policies. And although briefly invalidated the continuous journey and $200 requirement regulations were back and forth by January 2014. So three months before Kogamata Maru left Hong Kong for Vancouver. So it's just an unfortunate event that prevented all of those people from coming to Canada. And it resulted in official apologies 100 years later. There have been a lot of apologies. There were probably a ton in that year. They were apologizing to everybody. But it's it's just an interesting story, and um, I actually went to the Canadian Encyclopedia.ca. This is where you may find tons of those interesting stories. Oh, and, that's uh, Igor's source. I'm going to get it and start studying up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have another two weeks to prepare for the next review. <laughs> okay. So uh, we'll move on to the next question. Um, we all know that traveling across Canada will probably require you to hop on a plane and then just fly somewhere. Otherwise, you can get in a car and drive for like two days straight, nonstop. But if you don't like planes or cars, you can travel by train. And if you were to travel by train, 
What is the name of Canada's passenger train service? Oh, I just looked at this. I literally just looked it up with my wife. Oh, this question is so tricky for those people living in Lethbridge and Calgary because we don't have the passenger train station. No, it, it goes through Edmonton. Traveling by train in, in Western Canada is so frustrating. Yeah, it, it's not, it takes you to places you don't want to go to. It's not the ideal route. It's, it's more for an adventure. Yeah. I know it's in my brain. I know it is. I just can't <laughs> find the connection to access that particular synapse to fire it. Is it a short word or it's a long one? I can see Cedric from Ottawa. He already knows the answer. Just yeah, I've taken it many times. I'm very happy, very happy with the corridor from what is it, Windsor to, to Quebec City. I think that's where they make all their money. Could be wrong though. Cedric, is it is it fast or it's like mediocre? <laughs> so in, in Ottawa, they, they just finished building the old train. So from downtown, you can take a train straight to the come every hour or half hour from Montreal, which I traveled quite a bit for work before. So it's, it's pretty convenient, honestly. It's, and in Montreal, it drops you off right downtown, right? So it's uh, it's quite convenient for me. Anyways. And for Edmonton, it's every other month. <laughs> I think it's a weekly, I think, is what it runs. I, I can't remember. I'm not going to Okay. So yeah, let's, um, let's reel your answers. So Cedric says via rail, Mark says Royal Passenger Line, and then <laughs> Prem, okay, via, okay, perfect. And then Alicia, So Rocky this Mountain one here. should count because it is a passenger train, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a Western version of the like very swanky, um, the Rocky Mountaineer. So you can actually take this. It's like a tour through the mountains. It's very, very elite, but... Um, I know it does carry passengers, but it's not the answer you were looking for. Yeah, it's a little bit different. It's a little different. Yeah, so Good for you, the name bro. of the uh, train service is Via Rail. Wow. And if you need to travel anywhere by train in Canada, I like how they phrase it, anywhere by train in Canada. Those very limited number of places that you can travel to. Except Nineveh. You'll be booking tickets with Via Rail, a railway service that operates over 500 passenger trains weekly. Although the trains run across eight provinces and over 12,500 kilometers of track, Via Rails owns only 3% of the track it uses, and almost all of the remaining track is owned by the Canadian National Railway. Yeah, CN. I actually, I actually knew that, but I was, I thought there was a, I thought there was a, a, a specific name for the, you know, for the actual passenger. Yeah. Anyways. So via it, yeah. via it was. Okay. okay, so congratulations. And we have three more questions to go. Just to remind our listeners about the scoreboard, Mark has three points, Alicia has three points, Cedric has three points, and then Prem has, has three points. Oh, awesome. It's a very, very close race. Okay. Question number eight. <clears throat> Canada is bordered by how many oceans? Answers. One, two, three. And everyone got it right. Alicia, you did you write three as well? I think she said four, didn't you? No, I said three. I said Atlantic, <laughs> Pacific, and Arctic. <laughs> no yeah, bonus points job, for naming them. <laughs> oh come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good job everyone. There are three oceans and um the question was 
tricky a little for those who do not consider Arctic Ocean mm -hmm. at the north as an ocean. And um, yeah, but Arctic, Pacific, and Atlantic. Good job. Good job, everyone. So yeah, it's four points um, with everyone. Mark four points, Alicia four points, Cedric and Prem also four points each. Okay, and we proceed to the question number nine. This equipment invented in Quebec helps millions of Canadians and in fact, people from all over the world during the winter. What is the name of this equipment that we use in winter? Developed in Quebec, invented in Quebec. Equipment? Yeah. It's like a tool that we use in winter. It would make our lives miserable without it. We just got so used to it that we don't think about it. Something very unique. But in some countries, it may be quite unique. Like only people with money would afford it. Oh, oh here come what, all the hints, what eh? What are you doing? <laughs> I, I think I know what it is. <laughs> oh man, now you threw me off. <laughs> Seriously. Got him. People with That's money. Point. People with money. Relative money. You don't need to have a lot of money to afford it, but... Well, my my option, you don't have to have hardly any at all, so that's out the door. Um, no, Mark, it's not a shovel. I did that, it's no shovel. <laughs> but I'm changing it now, <laughs> you fucker. Okay. There's too many things that we need in the winter in Canada to be able to list just one. You know, I'm just going to go back to my original one. It's a snow shovel? It's not. I'm not going with snow shovel. No. <laughs> it's clearly not. You don't need to be rich to own a snow shovel. <clears throat> okay. The so, three to one reveal your answers. Okay. So Mark says winter tires. Snowmobile says Cedric. Snowblower says Prem. And then Alicia says winter tires. And guess who gets the point? Cedric. It's Prem. What? It's Prem. What did you what did Prem guess? <laughs> It's a snow snow <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome, yeah. Prem. Great job, job, Prem. That's fantastic. Thanks for the hint. Thanks for the hint. Yeah. So the inventor, Arthur Sickard, is considered to have invented the mobile snowblower in 1925. It was basically a truck with a snow thrower chute that could throw snow 27 meters up. It wasn't the type of the snowblower you could use at home, but we changed how we handle winters from then on. Yeah, so there you go. This very essential piece of equipment, winter equipment, comes from Quebec. Cool. Congratulations, Prem. Prem, and fantastic. Prem, you're on the verge of history here. <clears throat> this is yeah. awesome. So Prem's got five, and the rest of us have got four. And so if Prem wins this, if he gets this next one right, you are the champion, Prem. There's going to be celebration and cheering. Okay. No pressure. So, yeah. Do you have a tiebreaker? Do you have a tiebreaker, yeah. Igor? I have an 11th question okay. this time. Okay. But the number 10 question is very hard. <laughs> and at least I was really surprised to learn the answer, so... Prem, you have to do some really good thinking about it. Okay. When it comes to Canada, you might sometimes hear hang a Larry or hang a Roger. What do these two phrases mean? What? Can you spell the neighbor? <laughs> yeah. Uh, can I get the origin of the word? Oh, my God. Okay. It's, it's literally hang a Larry or hang Roger. Oh, hang a Roger. Oh, hang yeah. a Larry or hang a Roger. Okay. Okay. Um, 
Where, where, where? Who says this? Hey, no <laughs> questions. <laughs> Canadians say that. It's like take off a eh? like the Great White North um, from Bob and Doug McKenzie. That's old, old, old. Probably before you were even born, Cedric. It's not it. But I, but I, yeah, but I do I realize that, that that sometimes when I speak English or even French to um, to non-Canadians or people who are learning English or learning French, some expressions that we use are not used around the world, right? And so you have to not have the A's or in French, you know, we tend to put everything together, right? Um, in any event, I try, I try my best to make sure that people around the world can understand me. But I have the answer if you guys have the answer. Okay. No, not quite yet. Just wait. Just wait. I'm just. I'm just still pondering. Googling. Surreptitious. <clears throat> <laughs> How do you spell? <laughs> oh, yeah, there he's he's sleeping yeah. us out. <laughs> <laughs> oh dang it! I know what this is too. So the other thing we have to explain to to everybody when we're from Canada is what a toque is. Right? If we say, oh, go yeah. get your toque, nobody who knows what a toque is unless you're Canadian and they don't know how to spell it. Okay, so I'm, I'm yeah. out of the running here. Okay. Hang a Roger. Okay. Okay. So um, three, two, one, show your answers. Okay. High five, says Mark. Cedric says, turn left, turn right. And then oh, Lisa says, is. turn left, turn right. Yeah, that's what it is. And then from... No answer. I don't know. Okay. So it's a three-way okay. tie and I'm out. Dang it. Yeah. So Alicia and Cedric get a point. Yeah. It indeed means turn left, turn right. And when I was like, wait a second, hang a Larry? <laughs> what? <laughs> and then like all of those typical Canadian slang things, like Mickey, which is like a little bottle of vodka like what <laughs> like why mickey or like toony looney okay i get that but... that's for me <laughs> all right tiebreaker okay. I'll, I'll participate tiebreaker. but i'm out of the running in 2012 in 2012 in calgary jason kenny a former minister of immigration gave a statement in his statement he mentioned Santa Claus and his immigration status in Canada. As per our minister, what is the immigration status of Santa Claus? Oh, that's an easy one. <laughs> I think you're still going to have a tie. You need to go with the numerical tiebreaker where people guess. I mean, I don't know. You're making this sound really easy. I, 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 I have no idea. <laughs> Alicia is definitely putting a lot of thought into, it, into this as well. Just in case we still have a tie, we'll open ChatGPT and <laughs> we'll see if you can handle ChatGPT type of question. Okay, so yeah, what is the immigration status of Santa Claus of Canada? As per our minister, Jason Kenney. Okay. So three, two, one, you can show your answers. Okay. Mark says visitor. No, I didn't. Alicia says visitor. I oh, said, uh, I said says citizen. citizen. Yeah. Alicia and Prem say visitor, and then Cedric says TRP. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Jason Kenny said that Santa Claus is actually a Canadian citizen. Yeah, he is. Yeah, it's too bad. <laughs> Too bad that it was And his phrase right sounds like this. And rest assured, as a Canadian citizen living in Canada's north, he can re-enter Canada freely once his trip around the world is complete. So no COVID-19 travel restrictions for Santa Claus. Okay, well, <laughs> Prem, what did you say? Visitor, visitor status. Okay, so you, you got to do another one, Igor. We still are at deadlock here. Okay. Okay. Oh, another this one? one's going to be Yeah, because you're still tied. <laughs> There's still three more time. Okay. Because now Mark is caught up to us. No, I'm not. Uh, mine didn't again. count. I'm out of the running. Um, let's see. Which Canadian city was the first in the world to use a computerized traffic control system 
You really need to pick one that's a numerical answer, Igor. Because then... <laughs> well, whoever's closest geographically. I mean... Sure. <laughs> well, that works. Yeah, let's do that. Otherwise, our little podcast here will be an hour and a half. First in the world, that city started to using um, started to use computerized traffic control system. I'm ready. Okay. Three, two, one. Lethbridge, Alberta. Vancouver says Mark. Ontario. That's not a city, Prem. That's not a city. <laughs> He's going to for for geography closest. Yeah. Montreal okay. and then Alicia. Montreal you have... says, and Alicia Alicia's says Toronto. Toronto. And Alicia gets a point for this. Uh, it is Toronto. Well done, Alicia. Toronto. The winner once again. Alicia again. Just... Her <laughs> dynasty <laughs> continues. No <laughs> that is awesome. I have security features, you know, on my computer. Maybe Alicia somehow. I think so. I think she's seat. hacked your computer. Yep. <laughs> and, Pre and Prem, well done. Like you held your own, yeah. my friend. Well done. And Cedric, right to the very end. Very close. That was great. Yeah. Thanks so much, very Igor. Close race. Yeah, that was that feels yeah. good. I love finishing last. It makes me feel so good inside. <laughs> These are good questions though, Igor. This one was really good. Like we had some excellent questions. And uh yeah, thanks so much for doing this. All right, guys, yeah, let's wrap you. this episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast up. Thanks for joining. If you have a question that you would like to add to our Canadian impossible trivia, send it to trivia at holthylaw.com and uh, Igor will uh, will assess it. And we may even have a little prize or something for someone who, who sends in a question that's used within our trivia. So if you'd like to do that, absolutely. And remember here at Holthy Immigration Law, we're, we're here to help you with any of your, any of your immigration needs. But uh, thanks so much guys for, for doing this and Alicia, yes, the dynasty continues. All right. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Immigration Podcast, your trusted source for information on Canadian immigration law policy and practice. If you would like to book a legal consultation, please visit www.holthylaw.com. You can also find lots more helpful information on our Canadian Immigration Institute YouTube channel, where you can join Mark on one of his many Canadian immigration live Q&As. See you soon, and all the best as you navigate this crazy world we call Canadian Immigration.